This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. We are midway through December, which means, wow, holidays just creeping. We're already past Hanukkah and, and Christmas right around the corner. You guys have all your shopping done? My shopping's done. Yeah, I uh, okay. I got most of that done on Cyber Monday. How That's about right. You? you were way ahead of it. Moore and I were procrastinating a little bit more. <laughs> I remember our last update. We're we have a, a more difficult time trying to shop for the men in our lives. I think dads dads and brothers can be can be difficult. Yeah. Well, there's always whiskey. They, exactly. There's always uh, heritagedistilling.com, of course, which does make great gifts. How about uh, any holiday parties? Have you guys uh, been enjoying any any fun little get-togethers? Well, this week at our Capitol Hill location, we hosted the Chamber After Hours monthly party for the Seattle Chamber of Commerce. And that was a big deal. Had over 100 people there on the Chamber. You know, they represent businesses, nonprofits, city volunteers, and so on. And every month they pick a different business to go to to have a a party. And uh, they came to our distillery and tasting room on Capitol Hill, and we were thrilled to host them. Is that the first time you guys have been host? I mean, that yeah, that seems like a pretty yeah. big honor. Well, congratulations. Yeah, I mean, think, about, think about literally the thousands of businesses yeah. that are uh, in the city of Seattle and the several several hundreds of businesses that are members of the Chamber of Commerce. So to be able to host one of those deals is, is a big, it's a big honor. And we were thrilled to share that with, you know, business leaders from around the city. That's pretty darn cool. And in one of your newest locations, too. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we're reminding people, you know, since we are halfway through December, you really only have a few shopping days left if you want to guarantee getting your package to the person you want to send that gift to. And it doesn't matter who you buy from, whether it's Amazon or Walmart.com or um, HeritageDistilling.com or any online retailer, you know, the days are getting close and those guaranteed arrivals by Christmas Eve or Christmas are going to start to wind down. And especially in light of the really big snowstorms in parts of the East Coast, if you haven't finished your shopping and uh, shipping, do it now. Do it now. Perfect. What's going on in the headlines? Well, we talked on the show in the past about interesting ways to recycle products into making beer, wine, spirits, uh, other adult beverages, and uh, even in the kind of the food industry. Our friends at Kellogg's have launched a beer using rejected cornflakes as the base. And uh, this comes to us out of uh, Manchester in the UK. Cereal giant Kellogg's and Salford-based brewery called Seven Brothers. They teamed up to create a beer made with cornflakes. The cornflakes were either too big, too small, or too overcooked to make it through the Kellogg's quality control facility. The beer they call Throw Away IPA. It helps the cereal manufacturer cut down on food waste. They swapped out, the brewery swapped out about 30% of the regular mass bill uh, in place using these cornflakes instead of the regular grains. They use about 60 kilograms of rejected cornflakes for each batch, 
and so far it's been a success. Kellogg's, through all their different efforts, they've been able to reduce food waste by almost 12.5% this year alone across their entire system. That's amazing. They, The corporate uh, management says that they're working hard to eliminate food waste in all their manufacturing processes and to give consumers a wholesome product that they love with minimal impact on the planet. They right now are selling this at some tap rooms in the U.K. It's a 5% ABV IPA. And it's available in kegs and also cans. And again, it's called Throw Away IPA. Uh, we salute our friends at Kellogg's for putting cornflakes to good use. Yeah, I think this is a trend we'll see continue as as more people are focused on being green and and uh, demanding that from companies as well. So good on Kellogg's for uh, for being on the forefront here. Seems like it's a good deal for them and the brewery. Yeah, yeah, agree. And uh, next up, Smirnoff. You know, Smirnoff is one of the big, huge brands that people are familiar with for vodka. Uh, Smirnoff is owned by Diageo. Uh, Diageo is one of the huge global uh, brand houses that owns uh, spirits and uh, other alcoholic beverages. And Smirnoff is following in the footsteps of other major alcohol manufacturers who are making uh, spiked seltzer or uh, low-alcohol seltzer water um, out of uh, what we call flavored malt beverage or um, flavored malt-style wine in a can. So Smirnoff in a can. They have a few flavors they've launched, raspberry rose, cranberry lime, berry lemonade, and watermelon. They come in six packs. They are 12-ounce cans, just like a beer, low alcohol, low calories, and so on. So our friends at Smirnoff, they launched a national holiday contest. And uh, basically what they want to do is they want to set aside $50,000 to help upgrade you if you are flying in a middle seat between December 17th (laughs) and January 31st. Yeah. So busy travel time, sitting in the middle seat is not fun, especially if you're tall like me Uh um, or you just have a long flight. The middle seat really is not very comfortable, especially as the seats in these airlines get smaller. So the brand is going to spend $50,000 in upgrades, making it easy for numerous travelers to win an upgrade. They did something similar on the 4th of July this year. So they paid for 100 winners to take a full five-day weekend because the 4th of July fell on on what they call an un fun Wednesday. So this now is a way for them to get in front of uh, travelers and get the Smirnoff Seltzer brand in front of them. And uh, if people want to sign up and learn more, they can go to SmirnoffSeltzerUpgrade.com. All you got to do is uh, upload the fact that you are flying between the dates of December 17th and January 31st. And maybe you can get upgraded for free from our friends at Smirnoff. It's just be interesting. I'll, I'll be curious to see if there'll be a little bit of a revolt from the people in the uh, aisle seats or the window seats because typically those are the people who just made their reservation sooner or ahead of time. Not always because some people get displaced into middle seats, but I wonder if they'll be like, well, I just didn't procrastinate and so that's why I got a window seat and I don't get an upgrade. I wonder if they'll be upset. We'll see. Maybe someone will say, hey, how'd you get your seat? And they'll say, I drank my way to this seat. (laughs) Exactly. I love the creativity of this campaign. Sure, yeah. Everybody can appreciate that. It's a great uh, holiday gift. It's good. It's good. And finally, online, an Australian man saves his beer after being kicked by a kangaroo. Uh, This comes to us from our friends at the drinks business. It is an online video you can see on YouTube. And the drinks business has a link to it. We will also have a link to it on uh, Castle Club Radio. And uh, essentially what happened is this video footage was captured of a gentleman named Daniel Tui. 
in Australia. He's attempting to rescue his dogs after they were approached by a kangaroo. And sometimes the kangaroos over there can get quite aggressive. He has a beer in his hand. And while he's holding the beer, he approaches a kangaroo, tries to push it away. But he got scratched. And then he got kicked by the kangaroo. And he falls down. But he managed to save his beer as he fell, quickly got back to his feet, and uh, the daughter was capturing all this. And so the video so far, and just uh, being up in less than a week, has been seen almost 500, almost 400,000 times, and has been shared 5,000 times. And I'm sure that by the time listeners of this show go online, it'll be north of that. And uh, just again, you know, when you're in the outback, uh, you've got to watch out for yourself and always, always protect your beer. And your dogs. My yeah. goodness. And your daughter. And your dogs. <laughs> All of the and above. And your daughter. Yes. There's that too. <laughs> All yeah. of the above. Yeah. All of the above. Yeah. Kangaroos are cute, but I wouldn't want to go toe-to-toe uh, with no, one. No, no, no. Don't want that showdown. Yeah. The aggressive marsupial. Be careful. <laughs> Coming up on Cast Club Radio, while well, there are only 279 of these in the entire world, the process to become one is absolutely rigorous. It takes years, and you have to drink a lot of wine to do it. It's next on Cast Club Radio. Back to Cast Club Radio. Well, we teased it before the break. There are only 279 of these in the entire world. You guys have already seen the article, but if you had to guess, what would, what would have been your guess? It involves drinking wine. Well, <laughs> well that kind of gives it away. It kind of might give it away. But for those who aren't familiar, there are only 279 master sommeliers in the world. Maybe in your in your uh, experience with working in the bar industry or just uh, having friends who've worked in the restaurant industry, you might have met a sommelier in general. But the master sommelier, to get there is a, an insane process, right, Justin? It is. And, and that number you threw out, 279 master sommeliers worldwide, just to put it in perspective, there are 435 members of Congress in the U.S. House of Representatives. <laughs> it is harder to become a master sommelier than it is to become a member of Congress. Uh, and the master sommelier test is way more difficult to achieve. So uh, kudos to these 279 people. The Court of Master Sommeliers was established in the United Kingdom in 1969. So goes back quite uh, a number of years. Uh, the court, and it is called, they call themselves the Court of Master Sommeliers. It is the premier international examining body for people who want to achieve the highest credited level of being an expert in all things wine. To become a Master Sommelier, you have to pass an exam. Uh, it's a certified exam. Uh, take part in a three-part examination process that you have to be invited to attend. You can't just go and sign up for this thing. It's quite difficult. It consists of three sections, this exam. There's a verbal theory examination where you are talking back and forth with uh, someone from the court. There's a blind tasting of six wines in 25 minutes. And a part of the blind tasting, I I have uh, friends and acquaintances who've gone through this. Part of this blind tasting is they present you a glass with wine and you go through all the normal things you would do to to, uh, sample the wine. Uh, look at the body of the wine uh, by moving around the glass, smelling, tasting, and so on. And you need to be able to identify things like the varietal of wine. What kind of grape did it come from? What region of the country did it come from? Can you identify the winery that it was made from? Because each winery has a unique flavor profile to it. So that in and of itself is challenging. Think, think about somebody bringing to you different beers, wines, or spirits in a glass, and you have to sample them blind and then figure out, What's the product? Where'd it come from in the world? 
and who made it, uh, that would be quite difficult. And these people train over the course of years to train their palate and the senses to be able to pick up on that. And then the last part of the three-part examination is a practical restaurant service component where you learn and become a master in all things service-oriented at the at the restaurant uh, level. And that's because when you are a master sommelier, you are highly sought after by the best restaurants in the world to be in charge of the wine collection and to be in charge of the customer experience for people who are ordering, drinking, consuming, and enjoying fine wines from your restaurant. Yeah, I know RN74 in town. Um, I've been there before. They have two of the top sommeliers in Seattle. One is named Jeff Lindsay Thorson, and one is named Paul Swanson. They both have their advanced uh, sommelier certificates through the Court of Master Sommeliers and are actively Mm -hmm. working towards their master psalms. Yeah, because, Justin, you did a great job of recapping everything that is involved in that three-part master sommelier exam. But before they even get there, there's an intro exam, a certified exam, and an advanced sommelier exam. So that's three tests before you even get to this insane three-part test, which you have to be exclusively invited to, which uh, Forbes reports that the average candidate sits for the master exam two to three times. So it's like taking the bar or something else where you you might fail a few times and you just have to keep going. Some take it as many as six times. And as you mentioned, takes years to prepare for, to study for. Uh, So an intense amount of just dedication to, to your goal. Very small percentage of candidates who attempt it actually pass. Hence the 279 yeah. total worldwide. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And uh, uh, there was a scandal that hit earlier this year. We, we may have touched on it in the previous segment, but uh, there were several people who set for an exam in October, and one of the existing master sommeliers somehow got access to the uh, blind tasting wines that were going to be offered and the tasting notes and was able to disseminate that to candidates who were sitting for the exam. And uh, when this scandal broke, all the people who had passed the exam, uh, the court of master sommeliers stripped them of their their title and f- invited them to come back to retake the exam. Um, Of the nearly uh, 50 people who set for the exam, they came and reset. Uh, 30 of them retook the exam, and then uh, only six passed. And uh, the person, they have not revealed the name of the person who took the information and, and basically handed it out early. They, uh, all the news reports indicate that that person's been barred for life from the court of master sommeliers and stripped of their title, of course, and uh, no longer can participate in uh, everything that goes along with this. But it's, it's interesting when you see the six people who have, who did pass in this month in December, they all hail from the United States. They, they represent steakhouses in Houston, North Carolina, New York, Las Vegas, and San Francisco. And uh, it's interesting that of the 279 people in the world who are master sommeliers, the six newest all hail from the U.S. Not a profession I would predict a huge scandal in. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Be someone yeah. really just got fed up with this whole process and everything that it goes into. But how about the people who essentially had to sit for this test twice? What's yeah. going through your mind and after you've gone through this whole extensive process and you know that you did everything above board and the right way and you passed and still 
you've got to sit for it a second time. That's rough. Yeah. Well, so imagine you pass the first time, and then this this uh, scandal hits, and everybody is stripped of it, um, and then you took it the second time and you didn't pass, people would begin to assume that maybe the reason you passed the first time was because you were one of the people that actually got access to the information early and, and had used it to, uh, to an advantage that you shouldn't have had, even if that was not the case and you'd been completely honest about it. So these types of scandals, uh, they do happen from time to time. They happen in the medical school field, people sitting for their medical exams and medical licenses. They happen in the, in the bar exams. They happen in the accounting exams. So, you know, humans are just kind of creatures of, uh, of opportunity and greed sometimes, and it's too bad this happened. But for these six new people who are now masters of the court, this is a good chance to now extend their careers for another 20, 30 years in what really is an amazing industry. I mean, the access of the types of wines they get to see now as part of their job, that they get to share with the consumers and customers who go to their restaurants, it it is the most amazing opportunity, and, and these people have worked for years to get to this point. Yeah, I can imagine you pretty much don't need anything else on your resume after after you've got that certificate, that diploma. Yeah, yeah you just need a big wine locker at home. That's all you need. That's all you need. <laughs> Coming up on Cast Club Radio, well, if your tastes are maybe a little more simple or a little more accessible than what we are just talking about, we've got the perfect event for you to take the whole family, and it's a local nearby. We'll talk to Morgan Eastman, the event director of Leavenworth Chamber of Commerce, to talk about a pretty incredible event here in Washington. It's coming up next on Cast Club Radio. back to Cast Club Radio. If you're looking for something fun to do with the whole family, we've got you covered. Morgan Eastman joining us now, event director of the Leavenworth Chamber of Commerce. We're going to talk to her about the Christmas Lights Festival, which I have been to. It's something amazing. I highly recommend it. Morgan, thanks so much for taking time to chat with us today. Hi, absolutely. Thank you for having me. We'd love it. And we were talking a little bit off air of the the beauty that is Leavenworth. And some people, unless you've been there and fully experienced it, don't quite understand it. But especially at Christmas time, can you just give us a little background on Leavenworth? Yes. So we are a Bavarian style village. We're a regular town, but all of our buildings kind of have this Alpine theme to them. And so the day after Thanksgiving, we put up, well, we start in October, but the day after Thanksgiving, we have about half a million lights come up in our park downtown, and they stay on clear through Valentine's Day weekend. So we kind of turn into a, a magical Christmas town, if you will, during the month of December. And so we have lots going on. But um, yeah, the big thing, the big draw is the lights, all of the buildings in town hang up their own lights as well. So the half a million lights is just in our park alone. So it's pretty, pretty magical, really pretty to, to kind of take in. You mentioned starting in October. Is that the undertaking that this venture, I mean, is it such a time commitment? Yeah, yeah. So we have a really small group of volunteers um, and we hand screw on each light and then hang them up in the park. So wow. they start the second or third Monday in October. So it takes them a good five or six weeks to kind of get everything up and going. And then um, you'll see kind of in that last week of November, all the buildings will start hanging up their individual lights as well. 
Wow, that's pretty impressive. So it's this group of volunteers. Are You guys are also responsible for maintaining it because I imagine it's not just to put it up type of thing. It's something where you have to keep track of it throughout the entire holiday season. Absolutely. Yeah, we've been doing this for, um, this is our 52nd annual Christmas lighting. Wow. So we've learned some tricks along the way yeah. with, um, you know, what bulbs to use and good maintenance tips and things like that. But there's definitely a lot of upkeep, especially since we'll get some, some harsh winter conditions just depending on the year, but lots of snow and moisture. So Lots of maintenance on those um, throughout February. My wife and I took our kids to Leavenworth for Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. the growth of uh, new businesses, even though the town is, is a fairly small footprint, is quite staggering. You have a new Rhine house that's just opened up on Front Street, a beautiful facility. Yep. You've got three or four new winery tasting rooms right there in Front Street, and then uh, the new Post Hotel down towards the river is a fantastic piece of architecture from the outside. I mean, I, you feel like you're somewhere up in uh, the Swiss Alps when you see that building or the Austrian Alps. Yeah, and, uh, It's just amazing to see the it's growth beautiful. going on in town there. Yeah, I think that's kind of what makes Leavenworth so special is, you know, the main area of downtown is just really a couple of blocks long, but we have so much packed into that. Um, and it's just really a unique experience that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah, there's there's a great, you know, small town feel to that. And I loved going there with my family, as I said, and there's just something magical. You can uh, Christmas shop, you can post Christmas, you can spend some of your uh, Christmas money there as well. What are some of the activities that people can do other than taking in the beautiful light display? Yeah, so we have tons of stuff going on all throughout those couple months that we have these, you know, lots of snow and so with that we have sleigh rides um if there's not any snow you know early december sometimes it'll be a little dry we have carriage rides throughout town horse-drawn carriage rides you can kind of almost flag them down like taxis which is pretty crazy and unique um and we've got you know dog sled rides and of course all the shops and restaurants as well all of our restaurants and shops for the most part have kind of a mom and pop feel to them so everybody's different from the next. Yeah, that's, uh, again, part of Leavenworth's charm is you you never have the same experience twice, I think. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> There's something new that you can Do you have the snow trains? Do you have the snow trains coming back this, this winter? Yeah, so the snow trains, um, they actually took the year off. They're bringing over buses at the moment. And so we're kind of just waiting to see what's going on with that next year. But I know that that's just a magical experience in itself. So, absolutely. I also I I remember from my experience there's some music accompanying all this fun too. Yes. So the three weekends of Christmas lighting are different each day from Thanksgiving. Uh, let's see, the day after Thanksgiving, clear through Valentine's Day weekend, as I mentioned, the lights will come on and on an automatic timer, and so you can enjoy them any any day throughout that time. But then the first three weekends of December, we have the actual lighting ceremonies. And so what entails is we have lots of live music in the gazebo all day. Um, We have, you know, 20 plus Christmas characters kind of hanging around downtown, (laughs) posing for photos. You'll see the Grinch, of course, Santa and Mrs. Claus. We have Father Christmas, um, lots of elves. And so those three weekends, it's kind of a different experience in that you can kind of walk around town and just really be hit with so much Christmas magic. 
And then once it starts to get dark about 445, we um, will see those big crowds kind of draw in at the park. And then we do a 10 to 1 countdown and all the building lights come on. And then the crowd will kind of turn back around to the park. And we have a choir singing Joy to the World. And so when they start singing, you'll see the half million lights in the park come on. So it's it's a pretty pretty special experience um, if you come for those festivals. But again, you can come any night and see them on their automatic timer. It's just those three weekends that we have, you know, some added special things that you can kind of do downtown to enjoy the festival. And you have snow. Yes, <laughs> we just got snow. You have snow, snow right? So usually there's, yeah. there's snow for the three weekends of Christmas lighting, which just makes it so much better. And Morgan, you are an insider, so can you tell, for people who haven't been to Leavenworth, some of the best places you're, or your favorite places to eat or grab something while they're there? Yeah, you know, um, like I said, our town is so small, but we actually have over 40 restaurants, which is crazy. So we really have you covered from everything to, you know, traditional German food. We have a lot of great um, brat places, lots Mm -hmm. of local breweries, wineries. Um, As we were talking about earlier, Rheinhaus just opened. They do some German food and also some American food. So we really can cater to all of your needs in Leavenworth. We have... Some things that kind of stand out are uh, we have a nutcracker museum with hundreds of nutcrackers dating back centuries, which is kind of unique to um, Leavenworth. And then, of course, we have the gingerbread house, um, and you can kind of get your fix, your sweet tooth fix there. Um, So like I said, just lots of different, you know, unique places that'll kind of cater to whatever you feel that day. Icicle Brewing is... Yeah, Icicle Brewing. um, So they have that and then they also have a brat house um, as well and so they do their own beer which is really great um, Leavenworth Sausage Garden they do their own brat so lots of local places kind of making use of what we have here in this area. Well perfect Morgan we're going to make sure everybody gets up to Leavenworth and, and, and checks this out if they can't make it in December again lights are up until February. So there's plenty of time to make it up there when there's still snow out and it's still magical. So thank you so much for taking time to chat with us today. Where should people go to find more information? Yeah, um, we recommend that everyone go to our website, which is leavenworth.org. And so you can find all the information that you need for your stay there. We have a daily events calendar as well. So if you can't make it during the festival, you can pop on over to that Um, site and you can see what's going to be going on each day while you're here in town. Perfect. Thank you uh, for bringing so many people happiness in the holiday season. It's a good time to to give thanks. So thanks for doing that. It certainly made a difference in in my life with my family. So thank you. Oh, it's so good to hear. Yeah, (laughs) we we can't wait to, you know, put this on every year. And like I said, lots of Christmas magic and we absolutely enjoy doing it. Coming up next, there's a big holiday pub crawl going on this weekend in Seattle, and we're going to talk about that, but also some of the more interesting and unique pub crawls from around the world. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. In just a few minutes, we've got a great new cocktail for you, as we always do to wrap up our show. But first, earlier we talked about a great family-friendly event that you could take your family to, the 
Christmas lights over there in Leavenworth. But hey, if you want to just have some strictly 21 and over fun, uh, SantaCon is happening today. And this has turned into a somewhat of an institution here in Seattle and I think in other cities as well. Uh, are you guys familiar with SantaCon? I'm not, but Lydia, you participated once, right? I have. It is just your. It is. It's essentially your your basic pub crawl, which I'm sure everybody has probably participated in one shape or form. But SantaCon, of course, adds the holiday magic element of of it. Whether you want to dress up as Santa uh, or, or or something else holiday related, your choice. But uh, yeah, I t- I did this a couple years ago here in Seattle, following a very similar route as they've got planned out today that they are currently running around Seattle on right now as we speak. But uh, yeah, it is pretty much what else could you possibly want? You're going to uh, several different bars. So you get to sample a lot of what Seattle has to offer. And you're also just around a, a bunch of adults dressed like Santa. <laughs> I can imagine people dressed up like bad Santa. Yeah, the there's, there's, Bob a, Thornton. there's a couple of those. There's some always some reindeer that show up, too. Uh, I saw one one person who is just a large present. I thought that was pretty creative. Like uh, there's a okay. lot of attention okay. to detail. It wasn't probably the most mobile or easy to maneuver through the streets of Seattle, but but yeah. The other cool thing about this was Mora mentioned they have some actual set rules that they like people to follow, and these are printed out on little pamphlets that they hand out to people at that are very festive, and they also come along with Christmas carols, nice. which are sung periodically throughout the pub crawl. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I just love that one of the rules is Santa will bring cash and tip, no cards, no complex orders. Lines can be long, so keep it quick. Because I have bartended pub crawls, and it's a it's a little bit of chaos be a when house. like fifty to hundred people all walk in at once, wanting drinks. So. Yes, and especially <laughs> I would imagine if you're sort of on the end of this pub crawl, you are getting the uh, the Santas after they have been uh, imbibing yes. for a couple of hours. The enjoying. kind of people that that call you over, hey, 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 and excuse then me, excuse me, they don't know what they want. They're asking everybody what they want, but they want you to stand there while they decide that, and you don't have time to. <laughs> Moore has definitely experienced this before. I can yeah. tell. More importantly, if you're listening to the show right now, you're probably in your car driving. And so it's it's equally as important that if you're driving, that you be wary of uh, stumbling Santas that may be part of the pub crawl uh, to avoid denting your car. Yeah, they're, they'll be all throughout the downtown Seattle area. They started at the, the Blarney Stone, but they're making their way past the Showbox to the Hard Rock Cafe. Uh, they'll be in the Pike Place Market and then heading down to uh, Cowgirls Inc. at the end of the night in Trinity. So they'll be all throughout Seattle. Be wary. You'll probably and see them there in bright red suits. You can't miss it. Tomorrow as well. So yes. if you want to participate, yeah. you can check it out. I think they're on Eventbrite right now. Perfect. Well, Maura, you mentioned that these aren't the only uh, pub crawls that you've either experienced or you've found some some research on. Yeah, I, it just got me thinking what, uh, what other crazy pub crawls are there across the U.S. and the world. One of the more interesting ones that I found in the U.K., I just... It's weird enough to begin with, but the fact that it's run by a dating site is even stranger to me. The, okay. the dating site do something dot com in the UK. They have an unconventional pub crawl for singles that takes them to bars with toilets of historical note called the toilet pub hmm. crawl. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Elvis set here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a way to meet someone. I mean, maybe if you're real big history buffs, I don't know. That's uh that seems, yeah, like a pretty niche market that you're trying to attract. But okay, good for if, them. If they are toilets of significant note, that implies they're old. And if they're old, that means that the condition they are in is probably not sanitary. And I'm not sure I want to pay to go tour with them. 
or something you want to do on a date. Yeah, it doesn't really spark <laughs> yeah. the romantic um, no. fires. Uh, Interlude, no. There no. is also a, a pub hearse ride no. in, in St. Augustine that offers a, a to take you to Casper-friendly bars as well as creepy cemeteries and lighthouses in a hearse. Mm, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'm out. No, it's thank you. It's like a free tarantula you can pet and a snake in the front seat. That's it. That does not sound fun <laughs> No, either. no, no. But I'm guessing, yes, around <laughs> Halloween this would probably be pretty darn popular. So there's one yeah. for pretty much every um, holiday you could think of. I thought too. this one was fun for parents. They say there's an Epcot bar crawl because the happiest place on earth for kids is often the most aggravating place on earth for adults. <laughs> so stressed parents can take the edge off through a tour of Epcot's international drinking holes. There you go. It could be the happiest place on on earth for you as well, parents. I love it. Uh, well, well uh, if you are part of SantaCon today, take care out there as you are uh, headed through the streets of Seattle and we'll look for you. We'll look for the pictures. If you're part of it, you should uh, send your picture to us. Uh, as always, you can uh, find us at heritagedistilling.com and uh, on all social media platforms. We'll definitely want to hear from you on that. Before we get out of here, we've got a great cocktail recipe that you guys can make at home. If you're not out on the bar crawl, maybe you just want to maybe just want to stay home and dress up like Santa. That's okay too. That's right. We call this the Palm Ginger Collins. It's a riff on the famous Tom Collins. Starts off with a highball glass. Uh, highball is that narrow glass that's very tall. Uh, you can also get any kind of tall glass uh, if you're really thirsty. You might use a uh, glass pint glass. Two ounces of our heritage distilling pomegranate vodka. A half ounce of lemon juice. And again, fresh lemons cut in half and squeezed will give you the best uh, best flavor profile. We use ginger soda from dry our friends at dry soda but you can also use the cranberry cranberry ginger ale that is available now seasonally at the grocery stores that's quite good and then you garnish it with a lemon twist it's really easy get your glass fill with ice two ounces of the pomegranate vodka half ounce of lemon juice top it up all the way with that ginger soda or that cranberry um, ginger ale and then that twist of lemon as a garnish and a beautiful color and just a great refreshing, easy-to-drink cocktail. Sounds delicious. Uh, If you want to check out this recipe, that is available also at heritagedistilling.com and where you can check out any of the articles we also talked about today. And like I said, we always love to hear from you, especially around this time of year. I'm sure that you've got lots of cool things going on, whether you're experimenting with the Heritage Distilling Advent Calendar and you've uh, had some, some crafty cocktails that you've cooked up or just anything else going on with your family around the holidays. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. If you're in the Northwest and you're near one of the tasting rooms, we still have that amazing fresh eggnog that's all organic and comes from uh, our friends at Parfait in uh, Ballard, and that's available at all the tasting rooms. If you have questions, you can email us at castclubradio at heritagedistilling.com. You can find us at uh, on Facebook at Cast Club Radio and on Instagram. And, of course, we always ask, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on mynorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. 